tonight, I want to talk to you here on the subject of the power of commitment, and that's what's being handed out to you at this time, the power of commitment, because in our walk with God, being committed to serve the Lord, to walk with God, and to believe in him with all of our heart is very essential, very essential. Praise God. And uh, this is what you are being handed out now. Give one more on that. That's what you should be getting there. And if you'll look at number one there, this is what we're going to begin with here, is the 13th chapter of the book of Matthew. Now, what's recorded here in Matthew, in 13th chapter, is also recorded in Mark and also in Luke. And it is a parable that Jesus gave one time to explain to the congregation of people that how you receive the word of God is vitally important to whether you're going to be saved or not or whether you will continue to be saved or not. And uh, I want to talk to you about this because I think with all of us, we are aware that the Lord's coming is very soon or is near. We don't know how very soon, but we know that it's coming. And uh, that because it is coming, we want to be ready to go when Jesus comes. We don't want anything to hinder us. I sincerely believe that everybody sitting here tonight, do not, you do not want anything to hinder you from your walk with God. Praise the Lord. So if you have your Bibles and would like to turn with us, if you would please, to Matthew <clears throat> chapter 13. And I'm going to read verses 3 through 8. And this is number one here on your list there, if you look, the parable of the sower. And this is the parable that Jesus gave here. And then we're going to talk to what the answers to those parables were, that parable, brother. Now, look at verse three, and I'm going to read this down and look at it very closely. He spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. Verse four, and when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some seed fell on stony ground where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up, and because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. So you had two types of ground here that the seeds fell on the wayside, in which there was no chance of them ever growing into the, getting into the roots down into the ground. People's hard, the hard, the ground was very hard where feet have been trodden it down. The other was stony and it got a little bit of growth, but that was about it. And then it died. Verse seven, some fell among thorns and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But the others fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some 100 fold, some 60 fold, and some 30 fold. And then he says, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now, Later on, after Jesus had given this parable to the multitude, his disciples asked him privately. They said, Lord, tell us what does that parable mean? Why are you giving it? What's the, what's the meaning of that to us? Now, all through Jesus' teachings, he used parables, and that was that he used natural things that were visible, things they could see, things they could touch, things they knew about in common life, and then he would apply spiritual knowledge and wisdom to those parables that he gave by talking about the natural things. So here's what he says here in verse 18. Verse 18, now I'm skipping down to verse 18 here to give you the answers that Jesus gave to his disciples. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, notice that, heareth the word. This is all about hearing the word of God. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received the seed by the wayside. In other words, they hear the word of God. They don't understand it. They just flip it off and they go on their way and they never get anywhere with God. God never really gets into their heart. They never get saved. They never come to God. They hear the word, but they are never, never affected by the power of the word. And then he goes on to say the, uh, the next one here. And then in verse 20, but he that received the seed 
into stony ground, places rather. The same is he that heard the word and anon with joy received it. Boy, they were happy. They were going to live for God and walk with the Lord and serve him. Yet hath he not root in himself. There's nothing there. It's not going to, the word of God is just not going to take off in his heart. But he endureth for a while. For when tribulations or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. Now Mark adds to that list when he says tribulation or persecution. Mark in his epistle adds the word lust of things. If there's lust of things in his heart, he is offended by and by. And Luke adds this, the pleasures of life. The pleasures of life. Tribulation, persecution, the lusts of things, the pleasures of life. These things prevent the one that falls upon thorns, the seed that falls upon thorns, prevents it from ever growing and becoming fruitful. So, so there is no lasting plant that begins to bear fruit from that seed that fell into the ground. Now, look at the, the next one, the 23rd verse. But he that receives seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth an hundredfold, some thirtyfold, uh, and some sixtyfold, and so forth. So the reason I'm pointing all this out to you here is to let you know here that there's nothing wrong with the seed. Hear me closely on this. The seed is the word of God. Now, by going to Luke, Luke spells that out very plain. I'm looking at Luke 18 to 11. I think that's in your notes as well. Uh, I'll point it with the pen here. Luke 18, 11 here. The seed is the word of God. The ground is the hearts of men. So in Luke 8, 11, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. He states it very plainly here. Now, the reason I'm pointing this out to you here is that nothing is wrong with the seed. It's the kind of ground it falls on. When someone hears the word, how do they receive the word of God? Do they receive it to believe it, to obey it, to follow it, to live by it, to want to know more about it, to let it begin to grow in your heart and soul? Because everything we need is in the Word of God here. Everything is right here. Whatever we need is all found right here in the Word of God. Praise the Lord. Now, I have an oak tree here. Everybody, I'm going to put oak tree here on this. Everybody ready for it? Hang on. There's an oak tree. Oh, that's not an oak tree, brother. No, right. You're right. It's the seed of one. Now, listen to me closely, folks. Everything that that oak tree will become is in that seed. This, I don't know whether that's a water oak or if that's a uh, live oak. I, I don't, don't quite remember which one it is, but it's an acre of some type. Now, everything that that oak tree will become, just think about it now. Everything is all in that seed. That's preposterous. How can everything be in that little seed? The big, big limbs. The thick bark, the leaves that will be all over that tree, the sap that will run through it, the roots that will go into the ground. Everything is already programmed inside of that little seed. It's all right there. And that seed has the potentiality. Nothing's wrong with that seed. I would dare say that if I took that out right now, I had that in my desk drawer. I keep it for this reason to talk about it. But if we were to take that seed right now, right here, and we were to plant it, it would grow an oak tree of some type because the potentiality is there. Now, let me say one word here to you. Nothing's wrong with this word. This word is perfect. It is pure. And it will accomplish the purpose in which the Lord intended for it to accomplish. You know what that accomplishment would be? It would be to get us saved. It would be to guide us through life. 
It would be to give us joy, peace, and happiness in this life. It would be to prevent us and keep us from getting into trouble and falling by the wayside, doing the wrong thing. It's all right here in the Word. And eventually, praise the Lord, to walk on streets of gold. It's all right here in the Word. You say, well, Brother Myers, there's a big difference between that seed and this Word. There's a big difference in the old tree and what you and I can become in God. And will be becoming God. You understand what I'm saying? But for all the universe, this word right here, God's revealed word to mankind, is the most powerful thing on the face of the earth. When God said, let there be, that all he had to do was speak the word. This is God's word that he's given to you and I. That we might not err from our, from our, from our walk with God. That we would not fumble the ball that we would be true to him, that we would be faithful to him, that we would believe the word. And of course, Satan is always coming around, don't believe the word. You know, hath God said, in the day that you see this fruit, you see surely that, that's what he said to Eve, you know. Hath God said, you know, a question mark, question. You know, if he can ever get on your shoulder and talk to you as a hath God said, you know what, you know, really, come on. You know, hath God said that in the beginning there was man and male and female, well, everybody knows that was cave people, that they evolved from apes or something, you know. Come on. That's imaginations of men. But I'm just telling you here that the Lord wants us to take the word and to believe it with all of our hearts. And if we will take the word and believe it with all of our heart, folks, one day we'll make it to heaven. One day we'll hear the trumpet sound. Amen. One day, praise the Lord, we'll walk streets of gold. One day the Lord's going to give us eternal life. And I love that scripture in this, I think it's the third chapter of the book of Revelation says we'll, and we'll walk with him in white. I don't know why that strikes me so powerfully, but I'm just thinking that one day there's going to be a white throne judgment in which everybody that's ever lived on the face of the earth will be gathered together and the Lord's going to judge everybody that'll be there. And we, you and I who are in the rapture, we are judged daily here. And know ye not that ye shall judge the world. We shall be with him to help judge the world in the sense that we've lived a life. God say, he lived a life, praise the Lord. If he lived a life in that situation, you could have lived a life in the situation you're in. If, if Brother Scott lived a life, you could have lived a life. You know, and that's how we would judge the world. And we will walk with him away. Can you picture that? Billions of people, big masses of people, they're all there. Some of them are shaking in their boots. They know they don't have a, a chance, a chance in the world. They know, who, they know what they've done in this life. And you and I will walk in with Jesus, dressed in white. Hallelujah. And something about that thrills me. I said, God, I want to walk with you in white. Hallelujah. Just to be among him, with him and among the saints of God upon the face of this earth. So God has promised us that he would do this for us. So I'm just giving you here an example here that there was nothing wrong with that acorn, praise the Lord. A little squirrel will bear that thing and he'll dig a hole, pack that thing down there and he'll pack it, pack it, look around. You know why he's doing that? So that when it gets cold weather or he runs out of acorns, he'll come back there and dig it up and eat it. Well, I got news for you. He probably never will come back. But he's planted an oak seed and the oak tree will grow out of it. God's great wisdom that's been put into that whole operation. And you say, oh, well, that's how the oak trees grow because the squirrels will plant those. Yeah. And I'll tell you something else. A future generation of squirrels will have acres to eat because that squirrel planted that one. Praise the Lord. So he's not just looking out for the oak trees. He's looking out for future generations of squirrels. And he doesn't even know it. All in the wisdom of God. Praise the Lord. And you and I, folks, if we'll walk with God and believe his word, be true to God, God will never fail us anything, and he'll always be with us. Now, I'm going to move on here because I've got some other things I want to talk to you about here. I want you to look at number two here, and I'll remove the acorn out of the way here. Praise God. I want you to look at number two here, 1 Samuel 17:40, when David went out to fight Goliath. He picked up five stones, why five? Y5. And if you'll turn to 1 Samuel 17, 40 with me for a moment here. 1 Samuel 14, 17, 40. This is the story of David killing Goliath. It's in the 17th chapter of 1 Samuel. Uh, 
if you want to know how to can remember what chapter it's in, David was 17 years old when he went out to fight him. You know, he was, that's about how old he was, about 17 years old. And he went out to fight Goliath. Here's what happened here after all the discussion went back and forth here. Look at verse 40. This is where we're going here, and this is what happened. And he took his staff in his hand, and he chose him five smooth stones out of the brook. He went across a little brook of water to walk out into the valley against Goliath. And he picked up five smooth stones. Now, they weren't little old rocks about the size of this acre. They weren't that size. They were big stone, probably half the size of my fist. I don't know how big they were. But anyhow, they were kind that he knew how to use. And the Bible says here he picked up five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had, even in a script. And, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. Now, I've often wondered myself, why did he pick up five stones? Because when you read further down, David was so confident he was going to kill that giant. And when the giant stated a little further on down to David, what are you? You think I'm a dog? You come out here going to throw a stone at me? Who do you think you are? You just carried on. The Bible said he chided him. He disdained David. That means he had a contempt for him. You're a little old kid out. You've sent a little kid out here. He's a giant. He's 10 feet tall. He was nine foot. He was nine foot and a half tall. That's how long tall he was. This guy was nearly 10 feet tall. He had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each feet. Big guy. Just a giant of a fella. And he was the Philistines' uh, big champion, you know, master man. Nobody wanted to fight him. David was a 17-year-old teenager coming out against him now with a slingshot. No armor, no sword, no shield, nothing. And he disdained him, had contempt for him. And, and David went on to say to him, look at verse 45. I want to say this, then I'm going to come back to why David picked up the five stone. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast denied, defied. Verse 46, This day will the Lord deliver you into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee. Boy, I mean, that's tough talk for a kid that's got just some stones in his hand. And I'll give thy carcass to the host of the Philistines this day and to the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there's a God in heaven. Verse 4 to 7, I'll read this and go back then. All this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not by sword and by spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. Now this is the confidence David had. And that's what he told Goliath when he was walking out and the next thing he says that he went ahead and went across and went out there to meet him head on. Now, so the question is, if David was that confident that he was going to kill Goliath, why did he pick up five stones? And I wondered about that for a long time. And one day I was praying and just talking. I was driving down South Florida to preach a youth rally down there. And I was driving along and thinking about it and praying and just said, God, why did David pick up five stones? And it was just like the Lord spoke to my heart right out of the clear and said, because he was committed to the battle. Did you understand what I'm saying now? He did not know one stone would do it, but he knew he was going to kill that giant. He didn't know if it would take two stones, maybe two chances or three or four. Whatever it was going to take, David went out there with confidence that he was committed to fight that battle some way or another. He may get there and throw a stone and it may miss. And if it does, the giant may come at him and make a swing at him. He'd jump out of the way and load that thing up again and use the second stone. He did not know how many stones he would have to throw in order to bring the giant down. But he committed himself by picking up the five that he could, he could carry easily enough in his pouch. And he, I guess he figured, if I don't get him in five stones, there's not much chance for me left because... That's the he's right on top of me by then. I don't know what, but David, praise the Lord, it showed his commitment. You understand what I'm saying? He didn't say, I'm going to go out there and throw a stone, and if it don't hit, I'm out of there. You understand what I'm saying? If it doesn't work, I'm out of there. No, sir. 
He was going to stay there for stone number two if it took it. Stone number three if it took it. Stone number four if it took it. And it was a commitment that David made to that battle. Here's something else I'll give you for free on that one. God never told David to fight Goliath. There's no place you find in the scriptures where anybody ever told David to fight Goliath. He just loved God in his heart so much. He wanted to fight for the Lord, hold up the name of Jesus, hold up the name of the God at that time. Hold up, amen, uh, the great God of heaven and earth and to walk out against that old giant because he was defying this great God that David loved and served. Praise God. So I'm just pointing out to you here that this man, David, amen, went out and fought Goliath whenever he uh, didn't have anything, but he picked up those five stones and he said, I'm just going to fight him with all of my heart. And the point that I'm simply bringing out here is that David was committed to that battle. Folks, We've got to be committed in our walk with God. Praise the Lord. Not to say, I'm going to live for God. Everything goes along okay. And then I'm going to stay with him. But if it gets bad, or if it turns bad, or if it does turn bad, then say, well, I think I'm going to, you know, look for some other way or something. No, no, no. Because the answer is all here. Nothing is wrong with the word. The seed is perfect. What kind of ground is it falling on when it falls on my heart? It's falling on a commitment. Praise the Lord. They say, I love God with all my heart, soul, and mind. The Bible spoke of David later and said that, that he was a man after mine own heart. David so loved God, and we need to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. But be committed, amen, to fight the devil, to fight uh, the truth for the truth, to fight to keep our faith in our hearts and our lives, that we may walk with God with all of our heart. It's not always easy. It's, there's tough times along the way. And anyone who's lived for God long enough knows that. But you know what? God will always bring you through. How do you know it, Brother Myers? It's in the Word. Hallelujah. And he's never failed the Word yet. Never will. Amen. Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Praise God. I will never leave you nor forsake you, he says. Said. It's in the Word. Thank you, Jesus. Now, number three here, I have an illustration here that's not found in the Bible, but it's a very interesting one. And I read it one time when I was reading Josephus. The Roman army in the, uh, the writings of Josephus. Josephus, uh, Flavius Josephus was his full name. Uh, he was a man who lived in the first century. He lived in the time of the early church. He was born in uh, 37 AD. That means seven years after Jesus was crucified that Josephus was born. He was Jewish. He was a, he was a Jewish guy. And he was living at the time that the Roman army was coming down out of the northern part of Israel toward into northern Israel and telling Israel, now don't rebel against Rome or we'll come against you and destroy everything you got. They were telling them that. First it was Vespasian who was the general and then his son Titus. Uh, Nero was the emperor of Rome at that time and Nero carried on a crazy way and finally committed suicide. And finally, uh, they called Vespasian, the Senate did from Rome, and said, Vespasian, get to Rome. We want to make you our new emperor of Rome. And so he turned to his son, Titus, and he says, the army is in your hands. Now you take it on down and finish the job and uh, clear up this thing with these Jewish people. So this is why Titus, the young prince, that's why Daniel talked about it and talked about the prince that would come, the people of the prince that would come. It was not the, the old general himself, it was the prince that was, he, he made him general, said, all right, you're the head of the army. Uh, whenever uh, Titus came into the northern part of Israel, Josephus had been appointed as a mayor or an overseer of one of the cities in Galilee. And they fought against the Romans, and the Romans finally conquered the city, and they captured Josephus. And they put him in, you know, they put him in prison and put him in captivity and everything. But Titus was curious about Josephus. He said, I want to talk to this guy and find out what, what are these, these Jewish people thinking? They know good well they can't fight Rome. They can't fight Rome, and yet they are fighting each town that we come against, they're they got the walls up and they're fighting us and everything. And so he began to talk to Josephus and tell Josephus, 
Look, when we go against these Jews, when you tell them, they don't stand a chance. They're not, they're not going to make it. And he began to talk to them. And Josephus became somewhat of a friend to this, uh, to this Titus. And they would have conversations like this. And Josephus began to observe how the Romans operated. Now, there's one place in the writings of Josephus where he talked about how they went to battle. Listen to this very closely. And this was very striking to me. They would come to a place. Now, remember, they had anywhere from 30 to 60,000 men in an army. They'd come and they'd set up camp for all these soldiers. And they'd put a, put a wall around it, I mean, a, a wooden wall. Built, and it would be built by their carpenters and everything. And these soldiers would all be there. And they'd all camp out there for two or three, four days until it was time to go into battle, the big battle they were going to go into. And the day of the battle, they got up early. They got dressed for battle. They got their armor on. They got their swords. They got their shields. They had sometimes little donkeys that carry other stuff that they had along with them. And then they would leave that behind when they got close to the battle itself. But they got all ready to go. And they had to be ready to go at a certain time. And Josephus describes this. He says that general, that general would stand there among all these thousands of soldiers. And he would turn to the crier. He had a cape on his shoulder. And he said he'd flip his cape on and put his hand on his hip and that cape over his shoulder. And that old general would say to his crier, that's the man that could yell real loud. He'd say, ask the men, are they ready? And that crier would say, are you ready? And criers way out there would pick up what he said and they would cry it out behind them further out. Are you ready? As far as they had to go, maybe three sets of criers. Are you ready? And he said within one great shout of a voice, the men would say, we are ready. Now, the old general would stand there and everything would get quiet. And Josephus says that when they said we are ready, you could feel the ground tremble. Just, just rumble almost from the, the voices that would come forth. And he would say to them again, he put that hand in that cape and he'd say to the crier, ask the men, are they ready? Well, he just asked, he just said that. And they did it. And he would go through the whole routine again, you know, ask the men and everything. And finally they would say, we are ready. Yet this time, second time, stronger than the first. Now they're ready to go, right? Not quite. The old general would do the same thing over again one more time. He'd say to the crier, ask the men, are they ready? Because when they went into battle, folk, there was no turning back. They were committed to that battle. You understand what I'm saying? And Josephus, in writing it, was emphasizing that this army was committed to go into battle and to fight according to the instructions and directions of that general and how they would be led. And he would ask them the third time, are you ready? And they would thunder it back with all their heart. And then they would proceed to march out of that encampment. And as they marched out and when the last man was out of it, they set fire to everything that they had 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 there everything and they burned it to the ground not them but the ones that was behind them and they burned it to the ground so that the army no man in that army could ever go back to that we are committed and he was pointing out that this army was such a powerful army because they were committed to the battle ahead now let me say this to you and I here this is why you and I must be committed we've got to be committed to God We've got to be committed to live for the Lord. We've got to be committed to serve the Lord. We can't be pulled aside to this and pulled aside to that and fall into carnality and all of this other stuff that can come our way, but to be fully committed. Now, I'm going to give you a few scriptures that's found there in your notes there, and it, it, where it's at the bottom part of three there, where it says the Roman army and the warnings of Josephus here. It says, we as God's people are in a spiritual warfare, spiritual warfare. Now look at Second Chronicles 10. We'll start with that verse of scripture. I got three verses of scripture and there's more that can be said about it, but I'll just refer to these three real quickly here. Uh, Second Corinthians here, 
10, 3. 2 Corinthians 10, 3. I'm going to read 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. He's making it like a physical thing, but it's a spiritual thing. Casting down imaginations. Folks, let me say this again here tonight. So much of this so-called knowledge of modern man is not truth. It's imaginations. I mean, people living in outer space, you know, people living in outer space, imaginations of men. There's no, there's no, there's, there's no proof of none of that. That we evolved from a one cell amoeba or a protozoa, a little one cell microscopic something, you know, we evolved out of that, you know. That if there's life on this earth, there's got to be life on all those planets, got to be life. Not necessarily. If God didn't put them there, they're not there. It's imaginations of men. And men's imaginations can go on all kinds. If men are not taught good and evil, then man doesn't know good and evil and everything is good. That's a bunch of baloney as well. One imagination after another can be piled up until people say, this is knowledge and a lot of times kids go to college, they go to school, and they're taught this and they're taught that and taught that and so forth, and there's no truth to it. I'll, I'll move on here, but just remember this. He says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringeth into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. This is the battle we fight. This is the battle. It's not, uh, not like... Uh, the Roman army fought or anything like that, but it was the, uh, it was the, the, these kind of things. Now, let me move on here a little bit further. Here's another verse of scripture we'll give you. This is uh, in Romans, uh, Ephesians, I mean, Ephesians six eleven. If you look at that verse of scripture here, this is another one about uh, us fighting these battles here. Six eleven. put on the whole armor of God. Okay, we're talking about spiritual warfare. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He says that in verse 11. Verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against powers, against the rulers in the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's what we battle. Verse 13, wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done having done all to stand praise the lord sometimes we walk with god sometimes it gets rough just walking with god and when you've gone as far as you can go and it seems like you can't make another step to just take a stand everybody hearing me on that Amen. there comes a time and place sometimes in life when it's like that just just take a stand god i'm gonna stand for you praise the lord i'm not i can't go any further i just I don't have anywhere any, any more to push ahead. I'm just going to stand. Having done all, then take a stand. Praise the Lord. And I'll tell you this, that God will open a way and he'll open the door and things will move on for you because God is faithful in those things. One other verse of scripture. This is the one found in Romans 13, 12. This is the three scriptures that I'm giving you here. Uh, Romans 13, 12 right here in number, under number three. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. The armor of light is God's wonderful spiritual blessings, having his spirit in our lives and walking with God in truth and spirit. And the Lord has put it in Paul's heart to compare all of that with an armor that we have. Not a real armor, but that armor, praise the Lord, that gives us strength. And all of these kind of things. God wants us to be faithful unto him in all things. Folks, I'm talking to you about the power of commitment. Being committed to God, committed to his way, committed to his truth. Praise the Lord. Put on the whole armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God. Amen. That we might be able to stand against the wiles of the enemy. Now, I'm going to have you go, if you would, with me to St. John 21, 12, uh, 21, 15. 2115. And uh, 
This is a scripture that really impresses me. I, I was invited down to Miami a number of years ago to preach the anniversary service in the Miami church. And also, brother, for Sister Rooks, she was still living at the time. Brother Rooks had passed on. Also, their anniversary, that they, they had spent about six, she'd been there about 60 years at that time. And uh, Brother Hattaball and Sister Hattaball had been there about 15 years. That's been probably, I don't know, 10 years ago. I can't remember. But anyhow, we were invited down there to preach the anniversary service for them, both morning and evening service. And... Uh, I read this verse of scripture in the afternoon, preached in the morning service, went to my hotel room, and while I was studying that afternoon, just looking over the scriptures and everything, I came across this verse of scripture because God had spoken to me out of this verse of scripture many years ago when I lived in Miami, when I was a young man, and I thought about not going back to, the, to Bible school and studying for the ministry at that time. And I had bought a new Cadillac, baby Cadillac, green baby, green baby blue, green Cadillac, not green, baby blue like Cadillac. It was about five, six years old, but it was nice to me. I was working a job. I'd promised the guy I'd stay with him. That's the only way I could get a job and uh, everything like that. And so it was getting time for me to go back to school, and I wasn't making plans to go back to school. And I got down to pray one night in my bedroom. I'm going back now when I was about 19 years old, 18 years old. My, my last year, third year in Bible school. I actually went four, four years, but this was my third year. And as I knelt down to pray that afternoon, the Lord spoke these words to my heart. Verse 15, and when they, they dined, Jesus said unto them, look at verse 15, 21, 15 here. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And the Lord spoke that to my heart. Lovest thou me more than these? I said, Lord, you know I love you. You know I love you. He said, feed my sheep. The Lord spoke to me that. And that's what it says on further down. Look down at verse 16. It said, feed my sheep. At, verse 15, at the end of 15, it said, feed my sheep, the very end of it. Verse 16, it also says that, feed my sheep. Down in verse 17, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs is in verse 15, then feed my sheep is in 16 and, and down in 17. And everything, the Lord spoke that to my heart. And I knew God was saying to me, I'm not pleased with you. Because when I was praying and I was telling the Lord I loved everything, I felt like God was doing this to me. I don't want to hear it. Don't, don't, don't even talk to me. That's the way I was feeling. I said, Lord, you know I love you. And then he spoke to my feed, my sheep. And boy, when I realized God was talking to me in the spirit, you know. You know why he don't talk to us audibly? Because he don't need to use the ear and get into the brain. He go right to the brain. That's why he doesn't, he doesn't always speak to us audibly. We don't have to. He doesn't have to. I said, all right, Lord, God, I'll go back. And I'm going to tell you, folks. Everything began to click, click, click that following week. Guy wanted to buy my car. I said, you got it. It's sold. I sold it to him that day. Another, another couple said, we're going back up almost to, to Illinois up there. And you can go with me. It won't cost you nothing. Help me drive. And then from there, I, I could catch a bus and get on up to St. Paul. I said, okay, we'll do it. And everything. And uh, just everything being the fun. The guy that I had promised that I wouldn't leave him, that I was going to work and stay with him. He walked into the place where I was eating lunch and a bunch of us young guys sitting around and he looked at one guy and said, is the draft board after you? He said, yes. He said, you might as well go ahead and join the army. What about you? Is the draft board after you? Yeah. He called out about three of those guys and you might as well go on and join the army. Might as well go ahead and get it over with. He looked at me and said, Myers, you might as well go on back to college too. Just like that. He released me. I said, okay, fine. Because I told him I would not leave him, you know. Because we were working. We were plasterers and so forth. Stuck old guys. And... Boy, I came home and about, this was like uh, on, on Monday and by Wednesday, these couple had wanted me to drive them in, and by the Thursday or Friday, folks, I was packed up on the road, headed back to school because God had opened all the doors. Now, that's what had happened to me. So when I was back in Miami about, about 10 years ago and I was preaching this conference, I was reading this verse of scripture and I thought, Lord, this is where I was in Miami when you talked to me one time about that. 
And I looked at that verse, and look at verse 15 here, and I feel the Holy Ghost in telling you this. So when they had died, Jesus saith unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? I said, wait a minute, does that say lovest thou me more than these, or lovest thou these more than me? If it had said, lovest thou these more than me, Simon would have said, no, I don't love these more than you. And then he would have said, feed my sheep. So as long as he didn't love anything else more than God, it would have been okay. That's not what he said. I looked back at that verse and he did not say, lovest thou these more than me. It's not six one way and a half a dozen the other. Are you with me? Look at this closely. He said, lovest thou me more than these? I'm not interested in whether you just don't put anything else higher than me. I want to be higher than everything else. And that's what happened. What happened with Peter over here in the earlier in that 21st verse, in that uh, third verse, Peter saith unto them, I go fishing. And they said, and we go with thee. And they went out and fished and Jesus was resurrected on the earth and and. They decided to go fishing. They were waiting on the Lord. He wasn't around. They didn't want to do so. They went fishing. Seven of those 12 disciples, 11 disciples at the time, went fishing. And while they fished all night and caught no fish, caught nothing. And Jesus saw them out there on the fishing way. And he said, cast your nets from the other side. And they did on the other side. And they had 153 fish in the net and could hardly pull it in. Could hardly pull it in. Peter says, this is it. I don't care how many fish is in the net. This, 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 this is not right. He jumped in the water, put on his coat, jumped in the water and waited to shore and got there and sat around. They all got around the fire and started to pull all the fish in. And then it got around the fire, excuse me, <clears throat> ate some fish. And then Jesus said to them, he said, Peter, Simon, Peter, Jonas, lovest thou me more than these, son of Jonas? Now, Peter's father here, Simon, Peter's father, was Jonas, but he never called him that till he got here. But Jonas, you know, was that prophet that sort of strayed away from Jesus a little bit. You remember that? He didn't. He didn't want to go and tell Nineveh they had to be. And the Lord called him that. He said, "Son of Jonas," and he reminded him that you're acting like Jonas the prophet. Jonah the prophet. Anyhow, I'm going back to this. He said, "Lovest thou me more than these?" I want to know whether you love me more than all this stuff out here. And I'm telling you, folks, God wants us to love him with all of our heart so that nothing is pulling us away. That's why I keep going to church. I, I know that we, you know, we wonder about whether we're going to catch something or spread something or, you know, those kind of things. Wear your mask, go to church. But there's no place like church. I, I was, there's a few times I just sort of, I didn't stay home purposely, but I stayed home because I wasn't feeling good or I was tired and I watch the evening service, but it's not like being in the house of God. I'd sit there in my chair and I worship the Lord and everything, but then when it was all over, I'd turn it off and turn the TV to some other station and look at some other carnal something, you know. But when I'm in the house of God here and I'm sitting over here or I'm sitting out there in the pew and that worship service is going on and the word of God is going forth, I feel the Holy Ghost. We need that. We need that. And we need to love God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our strength. And if I'm talking to anyone here this morning that's sort of laying out of church, hey, get back in church. We need the house of God. Yes. Praise the Lord. We need, there's, there's something about, you know, neglect, not the assembling of ourselves together, the Bible says. The Bible says where two or three are gathered in his name, there I am in the midst of them, them. Praise the Lord. God wants to be in our midst and he will be. But we need to be gathered together. And so he says to him, lovest thou me more than thee? And he did it three times. Three. Now why did he ask him three times? Look at number four here. On your, sheet, on your list there, your sheet. Lovest thou me more than thee? Jesus asked this, Peter, three times. Why three? Because he wanted to hear a commitment from Peter. Yes, Lord, I do. Yes, Lord, I do. Just like that old general asked that army, you know, are you ready to go into battle? Jesus asked Peter, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, I love you more than these. Yeah, feed my sheep. Okay, take another bite of the fish, 
bread that was on the fire. Then he says to Peter again, Peter, lovest thou me more than these? And Peter said, why is he asking me again? I just told him, yes. Yes, Lord, I, I do. Feed my sheep. And then in a few minutes, the Lord said to Peter, lovest thou me more than these? Now think about it, Peter. He didn't say that, but that's what he's... Think about it. I'm saying that, Peter. Think about it. Do you love Jesus more than all of these? And Peter realized... What I'm saying, I really got to mean it, folks. And we have come to the place where we really need to mean this thing in our heart. Because the world will pull at you and tug at you and try to get you out in the world and lose your soul and lose your walk with God. And Peter finally said the third time, yes, Lord, with all my heart, I love you with all my heart. More than these, more than these. And he proved it whenever he became an apostle. And, of course, this is after the uh, crucifixion. So this was uh, after, he had, uh, after he had denied the Lord and so forth. Now, I've got one other thing I'm going to bring out. That's point five here. And I'm going to name real quickly here some names of people who did not keep that commitment, who lacked total commitment. And I want you to go to Luke 17:32 very quickly here. And I've got just about... Ten, 10 minutes and I'm going to wind this up. Everybody say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Luke 17:32 is the next to the shortest verse in the Bible. Shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. The next to the shortest verse is this one. Remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. Just one word. Jesus said that. Just one little quick statement. Remember Lot's wife. Well, that's a powerful statement. Remember Lot's wife. Why should I remember Lot's wife? Because of what happened with Lot and his wife and family when they came out of Sodom and Gomorrah. I want you to turn over here to Genesis 19 real quickly with me. Look at 1915. 19.15. When the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Rise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. As a wicked city, Sodom and Gomorrah was homosexuality, terribly so. That's what sodomy is, homosexuality. And just wicked to the hill, fornication, just adultery, everything, you name it, it's all there. And in verse 16 said, while he lingered, this is Lot now. The men, that's the two angels now, laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife. And upon the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto them. And they brought them forth and set them without the city, outside the city. And it came to pass when they had brought them forth abroad that he said, Escape for thy life, look not behind thee. Everybody see that? Because looking behind you would reveal what's in your heart, that you really had a love for that place. Neither stay thou in the plain, escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. I'm jumping over here to verse 24 to save time. <clears throat> then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities. And that there grew and that which grew upon the ground, everything was burned to the ground. Look at verse 26, but his wife looked back from behind him, behind, she turned back behind Lot and looked back at the city and she became a pillar of salt. And Lot's wife lost her soul because her heart was still back there, back there. Folks, don't love the world more than you love God. Praise the Lord. One of the days the Lord's going to come for his people. We've got to be ready to go when the Lord comes. Amen. And Jesus said, remember Lot's wife and all of these things. Remember Lot's wife. And uh, I'm going to read also the one here found in Second uh, Timothy and verse 4 and verse 10. And this is one that deeply touches me. Uh, Paul writing here says, for Demas, this was one of his companions, traveled with him. They preached the gospel together. They helped, they baptized people. They just won people to the Lord. But Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, 
Cretans to Galatia. That's another guy. Cretans to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. But the part I want to bring out is that he loved this present world is departed unto Thessalonica. History says that Demas went there because he got into politics in the city of Thessalonica where he and Paul had been there and preached the gospel at one time. The book of Thessalonians is written there. That city is now called Thessaloniki. It's the second largest city in Greece. Your pastor and I were there one time. And uh, in the middle of that city is the old city, is the one that Paul went to. The old city is, is down below. And it's probably as low as probably from the bottom of that screen to the, to the floor right there. That's about how far down it is where they've dug it up and excavated it. It's right downtown there you can see uh, several blocks, city blocks of that old city dug out. And it's just stones laying around and the pavement is on the ground. You can see where the, the, the stores and the fronts and the street was and everything. We went down and walked around it. I never will forget, I was on one side of it and my son was over there on another part. We just walking, looking at this old city, thinking of where, walking where Paul walked. It's interesting. And it hit me about Demas. And I said out loud, without even thinking, I just said out loud, Demas, you gave up the Lord for this? For this? But see, that, this that I was looking at, was not what it looked like in his day. In his day, it looked glamorous. You know, it was a city, it was thrive, everything. The way the world looks today. And folks, this world will pass away, but the things of God will never pass away. And I'm just saying to all of us here today, let's be faithful to God. Hallelujah, let's walk with God. Don't love the world more than this, what demons have forsaken me, having loved this present world. And there's a lot of things that could pull at each and every one of us. Things out there that could pull us away from God. But say, no, sir. I am committed 100% to the Lord. I will never leave him and nor forsake him. And the last example that I have on there, of course, is, is Judas's chariot. He walked with Jesus for three and a half years. Walked with him. Heard his teaching. Saw his miracles. And still lost out with God. And I want to say to everybody here tonight, don't lose out with God. We're too close. The Lord's coming is near. Praise the Lord. And it's the greatest thing is, is eternal life. is the life in this life the best you could ever have. And eternal life, praise the Lord, with Jesus Christ forever and forever and forever. Let's stand together and let's give him the praise and glory. Let's just thank Jesus right now. Would you do that with me? Lord, we love you. We love you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you, God, for the great grace of the Lord. Thank you for your mercy and goodness. Thank you for the faith that you put in our hearts to believe you, Lord. Thank you for your people, Lord. Thank you for this congregation here tonight. Thank you for those that love the Lord. Help us to be strong in you, Lord. Oh, Lord, those that might be weak, make them stronger in the Lord, Jesus. Help us, God, to be committed to the ways of God and the things of God above all things. And we will always give you the praise and the glory for all things. In the precious and wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And everybody say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's say it loud. Praise, praise the Lord. God bless you. You're dismissing Jesus' name one minute early. <laughs> Amen. Yeah.